listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do head over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And we got an exciting show for you this week. Uh, we're revisiting one of our favorite topics uh, here at the Northern Miner Podcast. The electric vehicles, technology metals, the cobalts, lithiums, nickels, coppers. What's going on out there with new technology? What's going on out there with these electric cars, new battery storage? What's going on with the grid? That's the question. What's going on with the grid? Uh, so uh, we're talking about that again this week. We're bringing back uh, one of my favorite guests. Um, Anthony Maluski, who is the chairman and CEO of Cobalt 27 Capital. Uh, you will recall uh, from maybe a few months back, Anthony was on the show uh, just as they launched uh, Cobalt 27 to talk a little bit about what was going on in the EV space, uh, why that uh, Cobalt supply-demand story was so uh, compelling, um, and what, what his uh, stance was on sort of this streaming model that Cobalt 27 is using vis-a-vis uh, stockpiling physical cobalt to sort of underpine the value of the business but then going out and looking at streaming optionality in terms of picking up potential streaming deals uh, fashioned after uh, such industry favorites as silver wheaton sandstorm and franco nevada uh, and transferring that business model over into the cobalt space since as uh, our listeners know uh, now <laughs> uh, cobalt is predominantly a byproduct metal it comes in a large polymetallic system we know that a lot of it comes out of the democratic republic of congo so we're uh, bringing anthony back in to update us uh on what's been going on out there uh in the ev space uh anthony just returned from the indabo mining conference in south africa uh has been uh, traveling abroad a lot talking to the automakers uh and everybody upstream downstream who's involved in sort of this uh new technology uh revolution the uh, green revolution the new cars etc uh, so we're going to bring Anthony on for about a 20-minute segment, uh, one of my favorites. We get to talk a lot and cover a very broad uh, slice of what's going on out there in terms of macroeconomics, metals, uh, upstream, downstream, as said. Um, so we'll have that a little bit later in the show. So if you're into that whole um, you know, burgeoning uh, decarbonization and green economy and things like that, this is a great chat. Uh, look forward to that one. We'll run that a little bit later. But to start off the show, uh, we are going to do our news and notes of the week. First, let's start with our old buddy Gold, which was actually on track for its fourth straight session of gains at the time of recording on Thursday, trading at $1,353 per ounce. Uh, Gold benefited as the U.S. dollar slid to its lowest level in two weeks, following concerns surrounding high U.S. debt levels and tax cuts. Uh, The greenback has been affected by several things over the past little while, uh, ranging from the possibility Washington might pursue a weak dollar strategy to the perceived erosion of its yield advantages other countries and their easier monetary policy. Uh, Concerns about the growing U.S. fiscal deficit (laughs) have also weighed on the currency. Uh, Meanwhile, on the base metal side, copper rose on Thursday as the dollar fell and concerns over inflation prompted a move into hard assets. Uh, This sparked an early rally across base metals that also saw zinc hit its highest level in more than a decade and nickel hit a three-year peak. Uh, Copper is on track for its biggest weekly gain since November 2016, due largely to global growth and a weakening U.S. dollar. Copper was up 6.3% at the time of recording at roughly $3.25 per pound. 
And touching briefly on Seaborne Coke and Coal, which saw prices rise 3% week on week as Australian rail operator Horizon took the decision to cut the number of rail paths amid an ongoing dispute with Queensland Competition Authority. Uh, Seaborne Coking prices have rallied 8.7% since the end of January, with Metal Bulletin's premium hard Coke and Coal index settling yesterday at $227.23 per ton US. That is the highest level for Seaborne Coke and Coal since April of last Last year, uh, And then one other interesting note from BMO Capital Markets talking a little bit about platinum, palladium and PGM group metals. Uh, BMO notes that recent presentations and discussions at mining in DABA confirm some positivity is returning to the PGM sector with hopes for strength in palladium demand to persist and some of the South African headwinds to platinum to be overcome. BMO notes that a study of the futures and ETF markets tells an interesting trend. Investors are clearly, quote, willing to back PGMs in the short term with strong net length showing in futures contracts, undoubtedly helped by a stronger RAND. However, BMO adds, ongoing ETF outflows suggest that, until there is greater clarity over South Africa and the threat from electric vehicles, longer-term investment remains on the sidelines. That is in terms of PGMs. And that pretty much wraps up our news and notes of the week. But now, let's head on over to Toronto and uh, meet up with our staff writer Richard Corisa for this week's Mining Minute, which features our sponsor, Golden Arrow Resources. Uh, a member of the Grosso Group, which is headed by Joseph Grosso, uh, that believes strongly in the mineral potential of Argentina and has focused exploration efforts there since 1993 when the country opened to foreign investment. Uh, Golden Arrow has advanced its Chinchilla Silver project from discovery to development in just five years. The company now holds a 25% share of Puna Operations Inc., which is a joint venture company operated by SSR Mining, formerly Silver Standard. The joint venture is producing silver concentrate from the Perquitas operation and developing the nearby Chinchilla's Silver project. Golden Arrow trades under uh, GRG on the TSX Venture, G6A on the Frankfurt Exchange, and GARWF on the US OTC. So let's head on over to Toronto to hear from our staff writer, Richard Corisa, and President and CEO of Golden Arrow Resources, Joseph Grosso. Tell me a little bit about what kind of approach you took when you went into Argentina. My main tool has been humility and respect for their opinion, respect for their necessities, which varied from location to location, province to province. I go there and look at the people which are stuck in, a, in an area which is very bad economy, poverty, and uh, I look in their eyes and you got to let them know that you care about their clear water, you definitely care about the agriculture and be supportive all the way. Don't antagonize them, but see how you could work with them. In a short time, we came up with three major discoveries. One is in production now, uh, which is called the Guacamayo, owned by Yamana. The second one, uh, Navidad, which has got, uh, which is the biggest silver discoveries in the world, which I uh, discovered in 2004, and it's owned by Ross Beatty and Chinchilla, which were keeping SSR mining a 75% owner and with 25%. I could not explain to my shareholders that 25% is an incredible feat.
to studio. Thanks again to Joseph Grosso, the chairman and CEO of Golden Arrow Resources, and staff writer Richard Corisa for swinging on by to talk about doing business in Argentina. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor, Golden Arrow Resources. But now, let's get right into my chat with Anthony Maluski, the chairman and CEO of Cobalt 27 Capital, where we will be talking uh, everything technology metals uh, in terms of that sort of cobalt supply demand fundamentals what's going on with lithium what's going on with copper uh, and what anthony's sort of been hearing out there globally uh, about uh, the demand for these metals both upstream and downstream uh, and what the market's looking like uh, specifically for cobalt but also broadly in terms of these technology metals uh, so now i will run that uh, as mentioned it does go around 20 minutes i believe but i will be back after the break to wrap up the show Welcome back, everybody. Today, I am joined by a reoccurring guest here now at the Northern Miner Podcast, the chairman and CEO of Cobalt 27, Anthony Maluski. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Matt, thanks a lot for having me again. Uh, so, Anthony, I mean, uh, when we touched base with you last time, things were sort of just getting rolling. Uh, you'd completed the big IPO, uh, gotten going with sort of the angle on a pure play Cobalt vehicle. Um, so uh, maybe just uh, for listeners that uh, about three months ago, I guess we chatted, don't recall, uh, could you just give them a, a quick rundown on, on sort of what Cobalt 27 is? You know, C Cobalt 27 is really a pure play on the adoption of electric vehicles and grid storage. So when you think about the world, if you ask yourself, um, you know, who's going to be the winner of, of this electric vehicle arms race? Is it going to be Tesla? Is it going to be Ford? Is it going to be Chevy or Panasonic or NVIDIA? You know, if you're like me and you don't know, the one thing you do know is so long as you believe there's going to be a winner, you know the basic materials that comprise of the battery uh, and the electric vehicle are going to be winners. And you know, within those basic materials, you have copper, nickel, lithium, and cobalt. And you know, while each of them are interesting or will be interesting at certain points of the cycle, the supply-demand dynamics for cobalt are such that we think it's the purest uh, levered, uh, commodity to the adoption of the electric vehicle and so what we've done is put together a pure play vehicle so, so that um, you know folks can express their view on the adoption of the electric vehicle and, and grid storage and uh, so just uh, covering a little bit you have about I believe it's 3,000 tons of cobalt valued about 300 million if that's correct I think on my numbers um, so in terms of that physical cobalt is do you still intend on uh, expanding your holdings in that regard uh, we had talked about the streaming angle obviously yeah, so you know, in December we did a bot deal, ninety-seven million dollars, and we actually went in the market and purchased additional cobalt. And really, the the cobalt you know has or serves a couple purposes. You know, the, the first one is very straightforward. It, it it gives the investor direct leverage to price movement in cobalt, and mm -hmm. it's the purest form. The second thing that it does, which is which is unique, is it it gives us a balance sheet to move forward with these large streaming transactions that, that you and I discussed previously. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about the advent of, of most of these streaming companies, I can't think of an example where someone went into the market, got an MOU with a producer, and then went and raised capital. You know, they always had an angle to get that first deal done. And so for us, this physical position allows our shareholders 
kind of that um, front seat to the angle being that, that we are able to you know, do inventory financings and, and other things so that when we go into these processes, some of which have been publicized, when we go into those processes, we, we actually have a balance sheet and we don't have to tell the producer, trust us, we have money. We could show them mm-hmm. the money in the form of um, access to inventory loans and other things. And it certainly helps with evaluation, obviously. So that's uh, that's always a good thing. And so, I mean, this um, uh, sort of EV narrative and things like that, it's been around now for a little while. Um, so it's sort of uh, reaching a point of maturation, I guess, in terms of what we're expecting from the EV demand, supply fundamentals, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, can you give us a bit of an update on uh, what you're hearing out there in terms of that uh, electric vehicle narrative? Has anything changed since we talked to you last time? Yeah, I'll tell you what's changed is, is it's, it's accelerated. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the numbers came out for, for last year now, you know, they kind of came out a few weeks ago. And what we saw is that penetration rates are now approaching 2%. Mind you, mind you, that's from a standstill two years ago. And, I, you know, I saw a crazy number just within the last two weeks that year on year for January, it's at 460%. And, and so, you know, when I think about the adoption of technology, we, we really see two things that um, you know happen for for a disruptive technology to be adopted and you know what are those two things it's really cost is the first thing and 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 what what does that mean it means like is the cost of that new technology that disruptive technology uh, is it similar all right and then the second one is utility and utility in the case of the electric vehicle is how far does the electric vehicle travel well now it travels uh, further than than almost any commuter commutes in America in a single day. And then the second part of utility for the electric vehicle is how hard is it to fill it up? You know, how hard is it to recharge it? And the answer is it takes 20 minutes now for the supercharger. So those barriers have come down, and we're seeing the acceleration now of, of, of the adoption of the EV globally, by the way, China, Europe, the U.S., Canada. And it's interesting, I think, I mean, you hear a few, you know, there's always obviously dudders out there anytime there's that sort of narrative. One of the things people sort of talk about are, are potential replacements for uh, the lithium ion battery, but also changes in battery chemistry um, in terms of, you know, maybe more nickel forward. I think we talked a bit about the 811 nickel uh, uh, battery chemistry. I mean, how are those conversations going in terms of, you know, we hear a little bit about vanadium, etc.? So vanadium is completely different technology. The vanadium technology, the vanadium redox battery, is it's huge, by the way. It's not going to fit into a car. It fits into something the size of your house. I mean, it's going to get smaller. But the point is vanadium redox is really a grid storage story. Uh, but, but you know, I think that there was a fantastic article in Reuters in the last seven days. And and Umicore, one of the, you know, kind of key players in the in the battery battery cathode cycle here has come out and said that that they don't see any substitute for cobalt uh for the next 30 years i think is what the article said for the for the lithium-ion battery so you know look what 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 i what i think is that people who come out and talk about um you know a replacement for cobalt are misguided or have an agenda i think what you talk about is a maturing uh changing chemistry and right now, as we speak, the 622 chemistry for nickel manganese cobalt is rolling out, and that will take a couple years. And, you know, the 811, it's, you know, the survey is still out if that's even going to work. But, you know, in our models, we say it's two years out just to be conservative. It could be further out. The generation after the 811 kind of drops down into the 0.7, 0.84 range. So cobalt is, cobalt is here to stay in these batteries. 
you know, the, the life cycle of an automobile is six or seven years. So cobalt and the lithium ion battery are here for a decade at least. And uh, last time we, we spoke, Anthony, uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, that streaming um, process, the negotiations and what the market sort of look like out there. I was wondering, uh, maybe you could give uh, our listeners an update sort of uh, on the global sort of cobalt market and what you're hearing in your conversations in terms of sort of this streaming strategy. Yeah, so look, um, our strategy is moving forward. You know, there are a number of opportunities in the market and, and we are working on all those opportunities and, and um, you know, have committed to our shareholders that, that that's the strategy. And so I would say that that we're moving forward on that strategy. In terms of the global cobalt market, you know, what we see, it's getting tighter. Um, BMW is rumored to be in the market and getting close to announcing, you know, a 10-year offtake deal, uh, which, which may well spark uh, fear and, and other automobile makers who are also all along the EV story and and um, potentially create a situation where you see them rushing in to do these offtake deals. You know, there's not really that many places you can go to do one of these deals that at least the, ty- the type of deal that an automaker wants to do. There's really Katanga and RTR are the two kind of key places. So what you see is the news tightening around, um, the, you know, the neck of folks who don't have the material. And 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 they're getting worried and and uh, this year is going to be the year where you see some big deals between battery makers automobile makers and some of the large producers and does that mean for for you guys there's there's the rising competition in the market then no you know actually we we don't see the automobile makers wanting to do streaming deals they want to do offtake deals and that, that that's a very different deal um so you know, I think if we have this conversation in a year or, or a year and a half, it might be different. But, you know, think about Tesla. Tesla has intense internal competition for capital in terms of their manufacturing processes. Um, you know, the same can be said for all of these automobile makers. And so, you know, for them to decide that they're going to go invest in a development story at a mine is, is um, kind of a bridge too far. You know, it's something they, they don't understand. And frankly, when we've seen historically vertical integration, um, an example would be the Iranian ministry with with energy in the 70s. You know, it's ended in disaster. So I don't think that they're in a rush to, to actually invest in in um, mining companies and mining projects. I do think they want to do offtake agreements. So that's going to be the first wave. Ultimately, and when you know the market is really kind of reaching the top, you'll probably see some uh, some automakers make misguided investments. But but uh, but 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 I, I think that's still a year and a half to two years away because they're just not there. They're, they're just now hiring for the teams. You know, there's executive searches going on in the market and it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting uh, dynamic. So as the cobalt story sort of, uh, I mean, when we started, it was maybe on the rise, let's say a little bit. I mean, has it started to really get into the, let's say the generalist market consciousness now, this sort of supply demand uh, potential that you see? You know, I'll tell you something very interesting, Matt. You Actually within the generalist hedge funds, they're actually much more switched on and understand the story far better than the mining investors and retail that follows mining. In fact, in fact, they're, they're really far behind. And I think, I think the reason is, is because everyone has seen these stories before the promise of, of demand that never manifests itself, whether that's nuclear reactors, whether that's magnets for rare earths. I mean, we've all seen these stories and, and so we're suspicious of them as mining investors and, 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 and rightfully so, by the way. And, and, and what you've seen here is uh, 
these I mean our shareholders are some of the biggest funds in the world and 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 they're all in like they they know they they really truly believe this is happening i.e the, the EV and so and so they're kind of looking for ways to play it and so they've actually been our biggest supporters in all this and you know it's interesting I'll tell you one thing you, you know your readers will find interesting that everyone misses uh, is the following you know when you hear EV you think okay this is great for the environment and, and that's true however that's actually not the primary objective of the automobile makers, and we talk to all of them all the time, you know, they're thinking about this in terms of a structural change in their market. They're talking about mobility as a service. They're talking about safety. You know, if your son or daughter is born today, they're probably not going to have a driver's license. And, 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 you know, they're thinking about, you know, you know, 50% less car ownership in 10 to 20 years. And, and, you know, what that implies is they have to secure the basic materials because for them, the electric vehicle has the technology, it has the sensors, and it has all of the platform needed to actually create the autonomous vehicle. So it's not being built in necessarily to their gas-powered cars. So people automatically say, okay, this is an environmental deal. But but And that's true, by the way. But if you talk to the senior executives at these automobile companies, they're telling you, no, this is really about autonomous driving. It's about safety. It's about other things. And the EV happens to be the platform for that. And that's a very important nuance that a huge number of people miss. Okay, fair enough. And then, and, and we've obviously hearing, uh, you know, a lot about uh, the bullish case for uh, EVs and cobalt uh, and the expansion of this technology. I mean, on the flip side of that, Anthony, what are some of the big challenges uh, that you see out there in terms of, you know, maybe something that would delay the integration of EVs or something that's sort of standing in the way of, of this technology being more pervasive? Look, I mean, we're on, you know, I think we're on the backside of eight years of, of expansion in, in automobile purchases. So, you know, if we're entering an inflationary environment and, and people, consumers cut back spending and, and you just simply have a moment where people are buying less, less, you know, large, large items like this, if houses are spending less money, then what that could mean is a slower adoption rate. So I think, I think that's one. I think the second one, although I find it to be less of an issue, it's one that's talked about, which is, okay, if you withdraw all the subsidies, because there's subsidies you know, sort of globally in different places, if you withdrew those subsidies, how much does it slow down the adoption of, of, the, um, of the electric vehicle? So I think those are two, two potential things to think about when you're considering investing in the broader space. And it's interesting, I mean, from the point of view, you, you mentioned sort of this basket of commodities that's sort of impacted by this, which are, you know, the technology metals business. I mean, um, is it sort of still maintaining that, you know, that momentum generally in terms of things like maybe we heard, we talked a little bit about nickel last time you were on. Um, we hear so much about lithium. I mean, uh, is it sort of generally there, do you believe, across that spectrum still? Or is, is cobalt sort of j- just out ahead of everything right now? Look, look, Matt. This is the start of a of a commodity super cycle. Now, we all we all thought that it was going to be Indian growth that, that drove it. You know, people talk about India looking like China twenty years ago, and that may or may not be true. But but you're talking about a structural change in the energy markets in crude, and in the automobile market. And, and just to throw a number out there, fifty percent of all crude goes into transportation. So you're talking about fifty percent of one of the biggest industries on earth. And and what I would say is this is only going to accelerate. Um, Lithium has a unique dynamic in so much as there's a lot of it out there. So the SQ announcement about increasing production, a multiple of of lithium, you know, that, that's going to take time to play out. But the point is, um, lithium is not going to be, you know, constrained by supply. Copper, copper to give you a number, if in 2025, 15 uh, percent uh, penetration is the number for EVs, 
16% of copper consumption will be from the EV. And, and, and by the way, what we haven't even talked about today is uh, grid storage. And, and I'll just give you a quick anecdote. So in December, Elon Musk and Tesla had finished their, um, their, their battery farm down in, um, down in Australia, and uh, it was ticking over. And then all of a sudden, um, one of the coal-fired power plants went offline. And the sister coal-fired power plant was meant to come back online in about an hour to an hour and a half. And Tesla's battery farm, hooked to wind turbines, by the way, responded in, 100, like in 140 milliseconds. In other words, instantaneously it responded. And, and what that did, and you'll see this now in the news flow, because 2018, the story is not going to be EVs, it's going to be grid storage. And what that did is it put front and center in the mind of every single board of directors in the world at utilities that they have to start thinking about batteries. Now, now I will tell you that with grid storage, it's a little bit of a different story, meaning that there are a range of technologies there, like there's vanadium redox, there's lead acid, there's lithium ion, and, and each um, each one of those technologies has a different application. So, you know, vanadium is going to probably end up being for large-scale commercial, similar to lead. For your home, lithium ion is the winner. For remote places, lithium ion is the winner. But, you know, I've seen research that, that actually um, pretty interestingly lays out that Tesla is never going to be an automobile maker. It's actually going to be a, a battery producer for grid storage. And I think um, if you even believe any of the hype, the impact on the lithium, nickel, cobalt complex is going to be you know, greatly – it's been greatly understated. In other words, there's going to be a, a significant impact from the grid storage story, which hasn't really been told yet and, and will be told in the next kind of 12 months as we see utilities now – move into that purchasing mode and and like i said it's going to be it's going to be a broader base here you know there's going to be some other technologies when when um weight and size aren't constraints there are definitely other technologies but it's still once again going to impact copper nickel cobalt lithium you know vanadium and possibly lead oh great yeah and 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 at the, I, it's hard to dodge this question you mentioned a little bit about uh you know the subsidies and and a little bit of the political angle uh, obviously uh you know donald trump's a big uh big topic of conversation in the u.s uh, maybe a, a little bit about uh, if you've heard anything from the u.s administration on sort of this topic but also uh internationally i mean uh what is the political socio-political uh, uh landscape looking like for the uh, ev and cobalt situation so, so for, for EVs, um, if you look at Europe, I mean, you have multiple countries banning gas-powered ve vehicles by certain dates in London. You know, it can only, only be EVs in the, in the taxis. So uh, overwhelmingly, you have uh, a global push. Even in India, you have a, a drop-dead date for, for um, gas-powered vehicles. In China, in China, you know, it's funny the the best subsidy in China in Beijing isn't isn't even a subsidy that costs the government anything. You know, when you buy a car in China, if you buy a gas powered car, it could take you up to a year and a half to win the lottery and get it through. You, know, you, you can buy an electric vehicle in a matter of a couple of days. But what's more important than that is your license plate. Depending on the ending, it, you know, it allows you to drive every other day. With an EV, you can drive seven days a week. So there are these little subsidies that people that, that cost the, the Chinese government exactly nothing, and yet it has a, a tremendous impact on demand in a place like China. So I think um, outside of the U.S., it's incredibly bullish. Uh, it, inside of the U.S., you know, states like California are kind of moving forward with plans to potentially even ban uh, gas-powered automobiles. Um, 
You're also seeing disruption in, in things like the uh, trucking industry where you're going to have a t- autonomous trucks driving across America you know, with a driver only at the beginning and end of the journey. So I think that's, um, that's all interesting. And, and one of the upshots of all this demand coming in is a dirty little secret, which is 65% of cobalt today comes out of the Congo, right? Six, five. And, and actually the two mines coming on, one is Katanga and the other is RTR, are both in the Congo as well. So you're gonna have you're gonna have cobalt moving into like the 80% range of world production coming out of a pretty volatile place with with um, you know a lot of mixed stories lines right now. And so I think one of the big questions for Europe and America is how comfortable are we with cobalt uh, coming out of the Congo and a lot of the ethical questions it raises around certain production streams. I know surely. Katanga and RTR are fine. Like these are, you know, run by real companies. But you know, the, the, there's artisanal mining and some of the issues that go with that that I think are at the forefront of everyone's mind now with the adoption rates accelerating. But uh, Anthony, uh, thanks again so much for joining us. This has once again been Anthony Maluski, the chairman and CEO of Cobalt 27. Thanks a lot, Matt. studio thanks again to anthony maluski the chairman and ceo of cobalt 27 capital for joining us by phone to talk about that electric vehicle revolution in the cobalt market and what's going on with cobalt 27 and that streaming model always an interesting conversation to hear what uh, everyone's saying globally uh, about that uh, ev and green energy revolution as we've heard it called so often uh so great thanks again to anthony uh now one thing i wanted to mention uh for the uh yukon mining alliance our uh, yukon sponsor here interesting piece of news that uh, came across my desk uh, we sort of heard rumors about this recently but uh, the deal has been announced capstone mining has agreed to sell the minto copper mine in the yukon uh, for roughly 37.5 million us in cash plus working capital adjustments and common shares representing 9.9 percent of pem bridge resources which is a london listed company uh that we are going to find a lot more about in the coming days i actually have a um interview with Pembridge tomorrow morning uh, that we're going to talk a little bit about strategy and about the deal and uh, what they plan to do with Minto. So if you're uh, interested in what's going on with the Minto mine of the Yukon, uh, stay tuned because I will have much more detail on that at northernminer.com in the next couple days. Uh, so do check that out. And if you haven't yet, grab that subscription because it's a screaming deal. Head over to northernminer.com, hit that subscribe button, just over $200 for a wonderful digital subscription, plus that good old-fashioned newspaper. And who doesn't like the feeling of good old-fashioned newspaper? paper uh but yeah just wanted to quickly float that just announced uh, aftermarket yesterday the sale of the minto mine we had heard rumors about this uh so it has been done capstone uh, has uh, sort of i guess uh, monetized that asset and we'll, we look forward to talking to pembridge seeing what their plans are for the mine so another little interesting piece of news uh the other thing uh, as always please do head over to northernminer.com check out our canadian mining symposium this year it's an absolutely terrific event happening in london england at canada house on april 24th and 25th i believe sponsorship 
scholarships and speaking slots are still available. So head over to northernminer.com, check out the Canadian Mining Symposium, get in touch with our awesome office in Toronto, uh, and they can give you all the details on that. But uh, that pretty much wraps up our show for the week. Thanks again to all our guests uh, and commentators for uh, dropping by to give us updates uh, on some of the market activity out there uh, and what's going on out in the wild world of mining. Uh, But also, thank you, loyal listener, uh, because we couldn't do it without you. So once again, I am Matthew Keeble, and I will certainly talk to you next week.